is 80s Revisited. I'm your producer, Jesse Sedgley. And now, your host, Trey Harris. Mexican-Americans don't like to just get into gang fights. They like flowers and music and white girls named Debbie, too. In the tradition of the great comedy teams, war and pestilence. Are you ready for the end of time? Death and taxes. Responsibility is a heavy responsibility, man. Bad breath <laughs> and body odor. What, you know that smell our <laughs> And punk rock comes Cheech and Chong. They walk, they talk, and now they make number two. I got nowhere to go. Go see a movie or something. Cheech and Chong's next movie. And this is the next episode of 80s Revisited to cover Cheech and Chong's next movie. Because. Just adding the number two was complicated, I guess. I don't know. I don't care. Welcome back, everybody. Your latest blast from the past. It's me, your host with the most, Trey Harris, and the Chong to my Cheech, producer extraordinaire, Jesse Sedgley. Yes, I am. And that's right. Out of nowhere. Bet you didn't see this one coming. We're doing <laughs> Cheech and Chong's next movie, man. It's great. Yeah. Okay, let's get it. I gotta. I got to... I'll explain it as we get into it, but let's get the who, what, when, where out of the way first, as usual. Uh, Cheech and Chong's next movie released July 18th, 1980, two years after their seminal cult classic, Up in Smoke. IMDb gives it a 6.0. Rotten Tomatoes, nothing from the critics, but a 71% from the audience. Uh, budget, I think I had it written, I saw it, but I, for some reason, didn't write it down. I think it was like around two or four million. Uh, it opened at number two, however... At 5.2 million, unfortunately, it opened at number two because Empire Strikes Back was number one at the box office for the ninth week <laughs> in a row. Uh, however, mm. Cheech and Chong's next movie would go on to domestically gross 41.6 million. And as usual with a lot of these movies from the 80s, couldn't find out any info about Worldwide or Reynolds. But nevertheless, I'm sure it made a lot of money on the Reynolds, probably as much as it did at the box office, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, and that's just guesstimating. Directed by Tommy Chong himself. Did not know that till I was watching it. Uh, he pretty much directed all of the Cheech and Chong movies, although he was listed as uncredited for directing the first one, which is Up in Smoke, and written by Tommy Chong and Cheech Mara. They wrote all of them together. Uh, cinematography, one of the most unfortunately named people I've ever seen, King Baggett, uh, K-I-N-G-B-A-G-G-O-T. I bet he had a hard time in school growing up. Uh but he also was a cinematographer. He did a lot of stuff. Well, a couple of good things, I should say. Uh, Last Starfighter and Revenge of the Nerds. But there was two cinematographers on this, which is kind of weird. I don't know if they were working together or they just kind of split up their duties or whatnot. But Nick McLean was the other one. And he's got a nice list. Uh, Staying Alive, which is the sequel to uh, Saturday Night Fever. The Goonies. Spaceballs. Short Circuit. And then, strangely enough, he did this next movie. And then... <laughs> He didn't do much after that of note, but the last movie that he did that kind of, uh, I guess, put a nail in his coffin was Mac and Me, which if you've seen, <laughs> you know. Yeah. If you haven't seen, don't ever see. <laughs> but uh, starring, the, uh, of course, Cheech and Chong themselves, Cheech Marin is Cheech. Uh, of course, all the Cheech and Chong movies, obviously, because it's 
their Cheech and Chong movies. You can't have a Cheech and Chong movie without Cheech and Chong. But uh, I always remember him, aside from Cheech, as Cheech, uh, but from Dust Till Dawn, as, oh, we got this pussy, we got this pussy, we got every kind of pussy. That guy. So if, <coughs> if you remember Dust Till Dawn, I'm sure you remember that part. <laughs> That's Cheech Baron. But, of course, he's done a lot of TV. He was on Nash Bridges, uh, a lot of bit roles, uh, True Beverly Hills, Ghostbusters 2. Uh, he was one of the hyenas in The Lion King, uh, Desperado. You know, he's, he's been around. He's been in a ton of stuff. Most people know Cheech Marin. Uh, and then most people also know Tommy Chong. But mainly, Chong kind of stayed within the Cheech and Chong realm, so to speak. Uh, as with uh, Cheech, he was Chong in all the Cheech and Chong movies. Uh, uh, Evil Bong, he was, him and Cheech were both a voice in Fern Gully. Uh, Chong was a voice in Zootopia. And most recently, he was in the Nicolas Cage, soon-to-be classic, Color Out of Space uh, and also starring Shelby Chong as beautiful. That's the character saying that's the uh, lady of the evening that accompanies them through most of the movie. Uh, but that's also Tommy Chong's wife. And then eventually she quote unquote replaced Cheech in their stand up tours uh, once they kind of had uh, Cheech and Chong had their kind of yeah, falling out, parting of the ways, however you want to put it for a while. But apparently they're on good terms now. And then introducing in her, apparently, I don't know if it's actually her first one, maybe her first big role, Edie McClurg as Gloria's mom. Of course, uh, Ferris Bueller pulling the pencils out of her hair, the villain in Elvira. She's in like 90% of every 80s, all the 80s movies uh, for the most part. She's got the voice like this. So once you see her in the movie, you will absolutely recognize her. Uh, but also Michael Winslow as a uh, now this is how he is listed in the credits. Okay, I'm, this is not these are not my words. His, the IMDb credit for this character is Welfare Black. That's IMDb. That's not me. But of course, uh, Michael Winslow, the noise making guy from uh, all the Police Academy movies, you know, and uh, of course Spaceballs, you know, with the bleeps, the creeps, and the bleeps, or the sweeps, whatever he says. I screwed that up. But the funny thing about this movie is, like, you know, Cheech and Chong are obviously the stars, but there's a ton of cameo-level characters, uh, character actors, and notable actors that are in this. Uh, most uh, of those, uh, Rita Wilson as the hostage in, when, in the film set in the beginning. Uh, of course, Tom Hanks' wife, she's recently in the news because one of the uh, paparazzi almost pushed her over, and Tom, I almost said Tom Cruise, Tom Hanks told her to back the fuck up. Uh it was all over, you know, social media and everything about, you know, how Tom Hanks had to tell, you know, nice guy Tom Hanks had to tell people to, you know, not knock his wife over. Because uh, that's so newsworthy, you know. At least it's better than hearing about the latest school shooting here in America. But she was also the white, uh, Schwarzenegger's wife in Jingle All the Way. Uh, lovely lady. Uh, also uh, starring the late, great Phil Hartman as Chick Hazard, Private Eye. Also in Jingle All the Way. Of course, an alumni of SNL. And these are all bit parts. If you blink, you'll kind of miss them. And... This is one that I didn't have to blink because I recognized her immediately. Uh, the lovely and beautiful Cassandra Peterson, a.k.a. Elvira, as the other hostage in the same scene with Rita Wilson. Of course, Elvira and Pee-wee's Big Adventure. And speaking of Pee-wee's Big Adventure, Paul Rubens himself as the desk clerk and Pee-wee Herman. Pee-wee Herman is in this movie. Uh, and also Mystery Man, I think was one of his great roles. And he was great in Blow, too, with Johnny Depp uh, as well. But uh, it's, it's, kind of, it's really kind of funny because we did Streets of Fire a couple weeks ago where it had Rick Moranis as an asshole. Mm. And it's kind of the only time, at least to my knowledge, Rick Moranis is an asshole and I just didn't like him. Pee Wee Herman is an asshole in this movie and I don't like him in this movie mm. in terms of his character. He's great. He's funny. Don't get me wrong. But uh, he's definitely uh, – you just kind of want to knock his block off mm. <laughs> his, uh, his performance in this movie. 
But now, Cheech and Chong's next movie. Why did why did Trey pick this movie to uh, to do this week? Well, pretty much, uh, I have never until recently. I have ne- I had never seen any of the Marx Brothers movies. Uh, always heard about them. You know, I know the jokes. You know, I woke up this morning, shot an elephant in my pajamas. How he got in my pajamas, I'll never know. You know, I know who the Marx Brothers are, but never really uh, took the time to watch their movies. So I've been going through like a lot of their big, their bigger ones. And it really, I'm, I've always been a Three Stooges guy. Still, I mean, even though I've seen most of the Marx Brothers movies now, I'm still a Three Stooges guy. Three Stooges are bust for me. Uh, they're the best. Better than Laurel and Hardy. Better, better than Abbott and Costello. Better than the Marx Brothers. I'm a Stooges guy. Can't say that enough. Anyway, that led to me thinking, like you know, we back in like way back in the 30s and all that, you had all these comedic comedic duos. You had the Marx or even quadruplets and everything, yeah. trios, all that kind of stuff. You know, it was mainly you know aside from the Stooges, you know, it was the you know and the Marx Brothers. You know, it was Laurel and Hardy, Abbott Costello. You know, these these vaudeville acts that that went to film. Mm-hmm. And it got me thinking, there's nobody like that anymore. Uh, and I'm like, oh well, Key and Peele. Well, no. In, in a sense, yes, but not in the regards where we have like Key and Peele up in smoke. Key and, you know, right. Jordan Peele and uh, I forget the Key's guy's name. Um, uh, first name. Yeah. A.A. Ron. Michael. Is it Michael Keith? Keegan. Keegan Michael. Ke- oh, Keegan Michael Peele. Yeah. Oh, you know, Keegan, yeah. Yeah, something like that. But, you know, they did that Keanu movie, but it wasn't like, you know, Key and Peele and Keanu. You know, they. They had, their show was really popular and really funny. And, of course, Jordan Peele has gone on to be an amazing director, in my opinion. And Keegan's seen his success as an actor and other things. You know, so they've both gone on. But there was never, like, you know, a series of movies with Key and Peele where they were, like, the headline. You know, it was Key and Peele in, you know, whatever. As yeah. opposed, as, like, we had back in the day. Like, Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. Uh, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And the Three Stooges, you know, had over 200 shorts or maybe it was like 196, almost 200 shorts. It was either a little over or a little under. You know, Marx Brothers, all their comedies are heralded as some of the most influential and funniest movies out there. And they are they are very funny, but again, I'm a Stooges guy. So that just got me thinking, like, who, who did we have after that? And that led me, like, you know, thinking, like, wait a second. Okay, who am I missing? Cheech and Chong, of course. So that's kind of what led me down the rabbit hole mm. of comedic teams uh, to go through the Marx Brothers. I've already seen all the Stooges stuff. Uh, and I was like, oh, I need, you know, Cheech and Chong, you know, that was the 70s, though, right? No, they had some of the 80s. Yeah, they sure did. Their second movie and a couple more, which you might get to down the road. Uh, but definitely want to cover this one. Uh, a, because I had never seen this one. Of course, most people, I think of everybody, most everybody has probably seen Up in Smoke, if you know who Cheech and Chong are. Uh, and they, I mean, Even if you haven't seen their movies, you know who they are, because they're Cheech and Chong. You're huge. Uh, you know, they're, Dave's not here is probably one of the funniest, you know, almost like a who's on first kind of thing in terms of uh, how well known it is. Maybe, I don't know, maybe it's just my age speaking. But uh, yeah, so I'd never seen this one before. I mean, watch it, and of course, you obviously uh, watched it. It's funny. It's it's kind of, it reminds me of the SNL movies after Wayne's World to where um, you got about 45 minutes of jokes and an hour and a half movie, if that makes sense. But I will say this, and you know, uh, as far as this movie goes, the jokes are funny. Like when, when it's funny, it's really funny, and then sometimes it's just okay. This <laughs> is not this this let's put a you know speed it up a little bit. Something the pacing's a little off, but it's still funny. Uh, obviously, Cheech and Chong got some. I mean, they made set like I think seven movies together, four albums, huge comedic duo. They obviously got chemistry together. They're obviously good together, uh, and you know, and I, honestly. 
I think well, as an adult, like the stoner humor just doesn't hit me as it did when I was a kid, I guess, because it's not really rebellious now or like, you know, something that's necessarily bad to smoke, you know, to, to be into cannabis these days in America, yeah. depending on where you're living. Uh, so maybe it's just the times have kind of changed because, of course, that's their big kind of thing. They're huge potheads, uh, which that stereotype, again, like I just said, you know, really kind of has evolved from what it used to be. But it is a definite snapshot of the time. Uh, I enjoyed it. I absolutely enjoyed it. I don't think it's as funny as Up in Smoke. It's got some really good parts. Like I said, the set, when I saw Elvira smile, I was like, oh, what immediate attention. And then Pee Wee Herman shows up like, this is, this is great. Uh, and so it was, really, it was really fun. I enjoyed it, like I said. Uh, I don't, you know, I didn't enjoy it enough to be like, oh, I got to go watch the next one, like right now to catch up on all my Cheech and Chong, Chongness, so to speak. But uh, yeah, <laughs> it was, it was, it's, it's fun. I recommend it. Uh, I'm trying to think what else to say about it. It's just really not much to say because it's. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's it. You know, you really kind of know ex- going into it, I, it was exactly what I expected. Uh, it just wasn't as funny as I expected. I'm not saying that as a as a knock towards the movie or Cheech and Chong. It, it was definitely funny, but it's just not what it, it was. What I expected, but not up to my expectation of what I wanted it to be. I guess. Which again, that's on my that's on me, not on uh you know that's a that's a viewer a personal thing for the viewer, as opposed to uh, I guess a generality. But you know it was enjoyable. It was well it was well done. It, it, it still has that surrealness to it. That comes and goes with a lot of comedies of the 80s where just, you know, the Blues Brothers, for example, the car just starts flying, you know, a ridiculously high, like, high, you know, uh, ridiculously high to the sky at the end. Uh, the Three Amigos, you have a singing bush, you know, just some, you just have surrealist stuff happen that's, it's just taken in beat with everything else going on. And I really, uh, really enjoy that when I, when that happens. Uh, of course, you usually don't see that too, too much anymore in modern films, modern comedies. But the uh, but this one obviously you know, of the time you would see a lot more of that in this case. But yeah, Jesse, have you ever seen Cheech and Chong's next movie? I don't know if I have because there's so many versions of Cheech and Chong. It's like I don't know which ones I've seen. <laughs> they all just they all yeah, blend the together. Thing, like uh, yeah, I was about to say like I mean with, I want to I want to say it's seven movies together or something like that. I mean there's there's no way unless you like you're a Cheech and Chong like diehard fan. I just don't see you be able to differentiate them too too much, right? Unless Especially it's like you know, unless years. they go the oh yeah, unless they go the Ernest route, like you know, Cheech and Chong go to space, Cheech and right. Chong in Vietnam, Cheech and Chong go to the center of the earth, Cheech and Chong yeah. versus the Wolfman. You know, that's see, that's the way they should have gone. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah they that lock into a theme. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, and then just run that into the ground as best you can. But yeah, again. You know, I don't want to sound like I'm hating on it or not, didn't like it. You know, it's, it's definitely middle of the road. It was fun. It was enjoyable to watch. But uh, some trivia about it. This was the first motion picture to feature Paul Rubens as Pee Wee Herman. So in the comic book world, you know, in the little price guide, it would say, Cheech and Chong's next movie, dot, 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 first appearance, Pee Wee Herman, dot, dot, dot. And then it would say its value. Nice. Uh, but if this is the Pee Wee Herman we would have got, I'm, it's really shocking to think that this came out before Pee Wee's Playhouse and all that stuff because... Okay, you know, the Pee Wee character wasn't necessarily kid friendly to begin with, in, in the stand up thing when Paul Rubens was developing it. But this is like, obviously, this is not a child's character, and it's just so funny. You go, he goes from this, and the next time we see Pee Wee is Pee Wee's Big Adventure, and you know Pee Wee's Playhouse, and all that. So it's really kind of crazy when you think about it. 
Uh, yeah. And actually, here, I do ha- did have it written down. Cheech and Chong's next movie was the second of seven Cheech and Chong movies. And according mm-hmm. to Tommy Chong and other various sources, the movie made more money on a second run, on its second run, on a double bill with the Blues Brothers than it did by itself on its first release. Couldn't find anything else to substantiate that. I thought that was an interesting fact. And speaking of the Blues Brothers... Uh, Dan Aykroyd and John Belushi were filming it on the same lot and visited the set of the of this movie, still in their Bruce, Blues Brothers costumes. And Dan Aykroyd actually directed the sequence where Chong pees out the window, and uh, Chong observed the footage that Aykroyd shot, and you can see that the water hose being pulled out of the frame. But Aykroyd actually told him to keep it in because the audience would think it was Chong's penis. <laughs> Which absolutely, <laughs> I thought that until I read this, I was like, "Well, wow!" You know, because again, male nudity, it's. You know, it's more frequent, but it's still like, I don't know, because I guess of this time we're in and, you know, grow, growing up and talking about 80s movies, you know, you rarely saw that. It was all, you know, women were always always more objectified in movies than arguably still are today, uh, I guess. Uh, I'm not a social scientist, but definitely in the 80s women were objectified. So when you're seeing full frontal nudity in the 80s movie is uh, even like, you know, sub, uh, implied, pretty rare, rare in Frankly, you know, kind of shot like, whoa, like, hey, got a dick showing up here. Uh, in the version that for TV, the duffel bag of pot they're carrying around with is actually diamonds instead. <laughs> so instead of them, them getting insanely high, like when the aliens come, they actually just teach them to fly like Peter Pan for the TV version, which that just seems like more trouble than it's worth. Just don't show it on television to go through all this rewriting of stuff uh, since they're constantly going around with a giant bag of weed. And this is the only film in the franchise where Cheech's or Chong's characters are referred to by their name in the film, which seems odd. You got seven films, and it's the only time they refer to them by their names. It's the second movie, and never again. And five other films after, never again. (laughs) So you're supposed to come in with the knowledge of knowing that it's Cheech and Chong, which obviously, if you're going to watch it, you know that already. So I guess that's not as big of a deal as I'm making it out to be. Uh, Score-wise, like I said, you know, nothing really necessarily bad about the movie it's not as you know, my personal preference is wasn't quite as funny as i kind of expected it to be but it's still competent it's still worth a watch like i said for just the cameos alone seeing who's going to pop up next uh, i give it a six i think it's totally fine watch it again probably not uh i'd probably watch one of the other movies in the in their series if i had an itch to watch more teach and chong uh but nevertheless they're a great comedic duo you don't really like i said like you really don't have any comedic duos anymore or you know trios with the stooges uh, it seems like something that, you know, just I guess honestly, it you know, it died out with Cheech and Chong, I guess, you know, which is odd because they had seven movies, they had a full mm-hmm. franchise, and then nothing, you know, it was more. I guess what was the the big comedic franchise, so to speak, after that? I guess would have just been Jim Carrey movies <laughs> for the most part, you know, <laughs> where every time Jim Carrey had a movie coming out after Ace Ventura was such a big hit, it was huge. You know, oh, we gotta go see the Jim Carrey movie. He's the funniest guy ever. He's getting twenty million a movie. And like I said, Key and Peele would be uh, be close, but they, they never together went to that movie route where we got to see like, you know, Key and Peele versus the Martians or whatever. So, uh, oh, Bill and Ted, that's a good one. But I mean, I like, but I mean that, that wasn't really a comedic duo. Like, you know, like a, yeah. a comedy team that went on just two characters. into the movies. I mean, yeah, yeah, I guess well, they're characters, but. So, uh, and you got uh, Jesse pulled up a list here. We're looking at you know, and that's, there are some examples like David Spade and Chris Farley. Yeah, but it wasn't like you know, Farley and Spade in. Yeah, they were just happened to you know. Let's be honest. Chris Farley brought David Spade along because David Spade is not funny. 
Uh, my opinion, I hate Joe Dirt. My wife loves it. Uh, Simon Pegg and Nick Frost. That's a good. That's a good one. But it's still. But they'll I mean, never put. That's their... honestly them. And... Well, I don't but, know. They kind of put their names on the cover. They'll just put, but never as a duo as a, or expect them to be credited as such. I don't know, it's probably yeah, a money maybe, thing. <laughs> maybe it's just maybe it's just the way out there. They're marketed now too, I guess. But uh. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, but they they did they did the Cornetto trilogy, and then they did uh, Paul. Oh yeah, and... yeah, they're gonna work together a lot. It's just, yeah, I doubt so... they ever want to be lumped in together because then they're yeah, that might as be a package deal. Them. Yeah, yeah. I wonder, that, you know what? That's probably on the nose right there, Jesse. That's probably why we don't see that as often or mm. uh, to the level that we did, like with Cheech and Chong. Oh, well, oh actually, Jay and Silent Bob. Bob. That's kind of a. <laughs> So, you know, I mean, that's as close they, as it gets, just, really. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. yeah. But uh, that was almost accidental. Yeah. In a sense, how that came about with, you know, Kevin Smith. And I mean, he basically pushed it to be a thing in his movies. <laughs> you know, it wasn't like him and Jason Mewes were out on the stand up scene doing stuff, you know. He grew up in a time where that was a thing, though. So it kind of made sense to carry it on. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. Makes perfect sense. But yeah, that's as close as it gets, I think, as far as. Throwing yeah. some names on a box and expect people to watch it. <laughs> expect, yeah. That <laughs> the franchise, so to speak. That yeah. Big draw, yeah. Jay and Silent yeah, yeah, Bob actually, Blank. Yeah. Yep. That, yeah, because they had what, Strikes Back, and then uh, they had that recent one. Yeah. They actually filmed in New Orleans. Uh, I forget what it was called. Yeah. But uh, that the one, other one. Surprisingly, <laughs> that one was actually good. I, I think I, I can't remember if yeah. I talked about it on the podcast or not. That one was actually, it had some heart to it. Which was surprising, not expecting. I guess I should say. And reboot. That was it. It was just called. Oh, just, yeah. I literally called reboot. Yep. Jay and Silent Bob reboot. Yeah, that one, uh, that one surprised me. To be perfectly honest with you, a lot of people like are love or hate Kevin Smith. I mean, I'm, I love and hate all different movies. <laughs> yeah. I love it. I love a lot of Spielberg movies, but hey, let's be honest. Some of them aren't good, so I hate those. Uh, go ahead and leave me one star because I don't like I don't like War Horse. I think it's one of the worst movies ever made. Anyway, this again, this in the real world, this released July 18th, 1980. I was six months old. Uh, two days before, we love to talk about Ronald Reagan on the podcast and how great of a shitbag he was. Uh, but anyway, former California governor and actor Ronald Reagan, the actor, is nominated for U.S. president at the 1980 Republican National Convention in Detroit. Influenced by the religious right, the convention also drops its long-standing support for the Equal Rights Amendment, dismaying modern Republicans. Wow. Good job, religious right. Mm-hmm. Good job. Anyway, but also, again, the movie came out on the 18th. Born the day before, tennis great Venus Williams, and unfortunately passed away about six days later on July 24th. Peter Sellers, British comedian and actor, of course, the original Pink Panther which, as a child, that confused me so much. Yeah, me too. Because uh, I knew the Pink Panther as a cartoon character. Yep. And like, oh, there's all these Pink Panther movies, and <laughs> none of them involve a Pink Panther. And then my yeah. father had to like, oh no, Peter Sellers, he's the Pink Panther, and had to explain it to him. Like, this is just dumb. This is this doesn't make sense. Where's the he's Pink not, Panther? He's not even. Why pink. is it called the Pink Panther? <laughs> there's nothing to do with Panthers, and there's nothing pink. As a child, that literally blew my mind. I did not understand how that happened. Yeah. How that even occurred. <laughs> uh, so that kind of play t- gives you a little hint where the film was. Slow kind of news day, except for, of course, the fact that, you know, former California governor and the actor Ronald Reagan just got just clinched the nomination. And, of course, in hindsight, as we know, would go on to win 
two terms as the president of the United States of America and still held on a uh, ivory tower, a pedestal by the right wingers today as the greatest president who ever lived. Uh, well, you know, we talked about that before. Do your research. No president. No president's great. A lot of good ones. Not a lot of great ones because no. uh, they all got stuff in their closet mm-hmm. and stuff that they didn't do. That's just the way it works, people. So, hey, look, you know, again, just like you say, you know, uh, recognizing that Spielberg made some bad movies. It's OK. It's that 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 that, that means you're a true fan. You know, <laughs> you, you don't have to like everything that has Star Wars in front of it or Star Trek in front of it to be a Trekkie or a Star Wars or whatever. You know, being critical about what you love is what makes you love it more. And, and in my opinion, shows that you actually do care about it because you, know, you can recognize when it fails. But opinions are opinions, and those are just mine. Uh, back to the future this segment. Uh, Jesse, of course, we've, it's only been a couple of days since we talked. All I've really watched since then was uh, Cheech and Chong Up in Smoke <laughs> and, of course, the latest episode of Kenobi. Uh, uh, finished up, well, slow down play. I personally slowed down playing Evil Dead, uh, the game. Kind of got a few characters maxed out, so kind of that honeymoon period's kind of over, so I'm not kind of playing that as much. However, I did get uh, the new Ninja Turtles arcade or arcade esque uh, game that came out, Shredder's Revenge, uh, harkening back to those old quarter munchers of yore from the 90s. Uh, and it's amazing. Uh, six player co op on your couch or online. Uh, tons wow. of fun, button mash and mayhem. Fully captures the, uh, the old school feel of those, uh, like I said, those you know, uh, big arcade games with the four controllers all on one. Everybody can pick a different character and such. Uh, super, super fun, super nostalgic. Uh, they do a great little remix of the Ninja Turtles theme song in it. Uh, and it just really, really uh, hits that nostalgia button like right on the dot. In fact, it hit it so well that Violet, my lovely daughter, loved watching me play it so much. She made me play it as Michelangelo because she just liked I said, which color do you like, baby? And she picked the orange. I don't like Michelangelo. He's probably my least favorite turtle. Uh, <laughs> I never your favorite like Michelangelo. Turtle? Raphael. Yep. Mine is Leonardo. As a kid, it was my like when, when Ninja Turtles first came out. I liked Leonardo the best because he had two swords. I thought that was the coolest thing I'd ever seen in my life was dual wielding katanas. <laughs> and then as I got older, it was like, you know, especially with the movie in 1990 with Raphael, I was like, Raphael's just cool. God, he's cool. He's so damn cool. <laughs> uh, but yeah, now nowadays, like I, I tend to gravitate towards Raphael. Just uh, I don't know why, but as a kid, it was 100% Leonardo. At first, nobody ever wanted to be Michelangelo or Donatello back in the day when we would play yeah. it on the school. Donatello's you know, my number. I'm Leonardo. Two. I'm Raphael. Donatello is my Donatello. number two. He works. Um, I don't know. In games, usually that stick is pretty pretty good. <laughs> oh well, yeah, he's got that range advantage. <laughs> yeah. Being smart is cool, man. But it is. <laughs> Not breaking the rules. That's less. You're cool. you're. Uh, you're uh, your um, perspective on things that are cool are <laughs> much different than when you're older. Turtles, I got a great recommendation for you. It's a comic book called The Last Ronin. Uh, it should be out. I think it's out in a trade paperback by now. If not, you should be able to get the individual issues. Highest possible recommendation if you're a Ninja Turtles fan. It's basically the Ninja Turtles version of The Dark Knight Returns. And what I mean by that is it's the future... All the turtles are dead except one. I'm not going to tell you the one that survived. Because first issue, you're like kind of wondering, like, who is it? Who is it? 
but the story is badass. Uh, I mean, I've read some intros comics off and on in my life. Of course, the original black and white ones. Uh, not when they came out, because I would be much richer than I am now if I would have had those. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, it, you know, trade paperbacks after the fact. But this, if you want a kick-ass Ninja Turtles story, The Last Ronin, highest possible recommendation. If you want a kick-ass Ninja Turtles game, go to your, uh, you know, whatever console of choice and download, or PC, Steam, or whatever. I'm sure it's on one of them. It's on and all uh, of download them, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Shredder's Revenge. It is awesome. PC, uh, so Jesse, any other PS4, things? Xbox One, Nintendo Switch. Awesome. Yep, literally everything except iPhone. Yeah, <laughs> or mobile devices. Now, is this one of the games you can play all the way to the end, or um, yeah, like unlimited well, have, lives, has, or is it limited lives? You can play it. They have like a story mode to where it's kind of like more modern, like not not like the arcade experience. And they have and then they have the arcade mode, which is the arcade experience. So you have three lives and you go as far as you can go for your score or you beat the game. Mm. But the cool thing is you can play with six people. You can have all four turtles and April and Splinter. Yeah, that's right. You get to play as April and Splinter and you get to unlock a secret character when you beat the game. But if you think hard enough, you probably can guess who it is. Uh, a secret it's not character. Usagi, oh, yeah. Much. I think I know. Is he a sports fan? <laughs> yeah, he's, he loves he, he loves <laughs> he loves Jason Voorhees and he loves sports. So... <laughs> That's the only very, very easy hint that you get. Uh, but yeah, Jesse, if you, and since we talked last, recorded last, any, anything a note that you've watched, played, listened to, read? Um, not really, not really. The work has amped up. I think I managed to fit in. I watched like one movie. Um, it's called like Jerry and Marge Go Large. <laughs> I wanted to veg out one night. Yeah, it just came out. It was Brian Cranston. That's why I was like, oh, yeah, I'll watch that. Oh. And it was pretty good. It's based on a true story about the uh, the man who figured out the lottery. Uh, the odds of the lottery, if you buy enough tickets, you, you would win every time. And, oh, wow. Uh, so what he did is he got all the people in his small town to be investors, and he would pay them dividends out from winning the lottery over and over and over again. And so wow. through doing that, he helped the town rebuild and, you know, just got nicer and everything. And then wow, the um, hero we need. Yeah, in every town. pretty much. But yeah, it was a good little story. You know, one of those little smaller, seemed like a smaller budget, heartwarming little picture. So, and it was on um, Amazon. Oh, oh, there it is. Paramount. Uh, came out on Paramount. So yeah, it was a good little movie. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Oh, actually, we did watch something. Older people enjoy movies. <laughs> Not much action, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sometimes you need one of those to kind of calm you down. Yeah, or, so, to, so to speak, depending on what other garbage you're watching. You know, you yeah. all watch garbage from time. Yeah, but uh, we did actually. We did, I forgot. I just remember we watched the uh, the Netflix thing about Warren Jeffs, uh, "Stay Sweet, Pray and Obey" or something like that. But it's about the whole. Uh, Right, literally right down the road from where I live now is where this stuff happened. So we're sitting there watching. I mean, I'm just like, that's the courthouse right down the road. <laughs> <laughs> so it was like, in, you know, it wasn't you know part of it because it, it was it was on the it was in Arizona, but it's about 45 minutes from here uh, in St. George, Utah, where I'm at now. And then the, the it, they're still in Texas, where they kind of that's where they're at now. But yeah, uh, exceptionally disturbing, but well done documentary. If you like true crime, 
most people do. Uh, check that out on Netflix. It's four episodes, like their typical stuff, but really good. They go into depth on it. But like I said, it's absolutely the most. Some of the most disturbing. You kind of you know when when you hear stuff about that. In case you, Warren Jeffs led a, a Mormon cult. I mean, I think Mormons are is is a cult anyway. Because do your research. It checks every box for a cult. Uh, that's just that's just a fact. <laughs> just look it up. Uh, not hating on Mormons. Some of the nicest people I know, and they're not hurting anybody at least that I know of yet, except uh, in the 1800s where they hurt a lot of people, but modern Mormons are much different from what they were in the past. They're not hating on Mormons at all, uh, but it's a cult. Uh, anyway, but uh, yeah, that documentary series on Netflix, really good. Don't watch it with your kids. It's not for kids. It's very, the last episode, they play some audio that's very disturbing, probably some of the disturbing stuff I've ever heard in my life. Uh but yeah, if you like, like I said, if you're into true crime, that kind of stuff, and recent history, like yeah, I, th- I remember hearing about that. Yeah, well, here's the full story, and it's mind blowing. So I'd recommend that if you're into that kind of stuff. I did watch one episode of Joe and Carol, uh, which is based on the Netflix series. You say Netflix reminded me of that. Uh, Tiger, yeah. what was it? Tiger King. Tiger, Tiger King. King. Okay, yeah. Um, ooh, avoid, avoid at all costs. I watched it because, you know, Kate McKinnon, she's funny, but yeah, oh man, everyone around them is not great. And Kate McKinnon doesn't really get to spread her wings. She has to act like this, uh, Carol, whatever her name, Carol Baskin. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that they're, they're just hanging around a bunch of CG animals basically <laughs> <laughs> that aren't very well done either. Um, oh, wow. So yeah, I, I'd avoid it. At all costs. Uh, the guy who plays well, Joe is awful. Like, does not remind me of... I've watched all of Tiger King. I don't see why they picked this guy. Um, and it's just overly dramatized. Surprisingly, like... the t- Tiger King was already a huge drama anyway. Masked as a documentary. Yeah. But this, they attempted to do drama. It's like... I don't know. They accidentally nailed it in Tiger King, and then here they try to recreate it, and it's just so bad. And that's what. It, that's exactly like what I kind of thought. Like the doc, like the show on Netflix, the uh, the original, like the original document, like you said, you really summed it up perfectly. Like the show that masquerades as a documentary, <laughs> kind of uh, yeah. like you can't beat. Like there's no point in watching anything else about this because that's the real story. And as usual, truth is stranger than fiction. So why even bother like making a, a false version in the real one? You're not going to beat it. Nope. And then why would you want, why would, even if you could, why would you want to watch it? Because you could just watch the real, literally the real story unfold in front of you. Yeah. And they're I don't just know, recreating just all the things we know already. It's like, I know so what weird. Like, <laughs> Except with fake like animals. a quick cash in. That's yeah. ridiculous. You can't even get the animals. That's like I mean, the main, that's like a crux of the story. You can see a trailer playing on here right now. You, they will not show yeah. animals here because they look so bad. Wow. So, yeah, it's the only way they can get close to them, I guess, is if they're completely <laughs> fake tennis balls. I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, when I heard about, I was like, oh, that. I thought like maybe maybe that'll be interesting, but then upon like I said another second of thought, like why would I want to watch this? And you know, like you said, you know, we got, if you got a good cast, you got somebody you like in it, maybe give it a shot. But thank you for confirming my worst fears. 
Yeah, they should have got someone from, like, the South to play Joe. Because, I don't know, this guy was in, um, oh, we talked about this, like, two weeks ago, maybe? Played Hedwig. And oh, wait a second. Hold on. That's... Oh, wait. oh, shit, that is Hedwig. I don't even recognize him. I was from El Paso, Texas, so you should be able to do something like that. Well, of course, then there's a debate. Is Texas the South? <laughs> you know? I don't know. <laughs> Texas, I don't, I, don't, I don't want to claim it as the South. Texas is its own little yeah, country. Texas is Texas. That's, that's usually the answer. Back ass words. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Might be its that's, own country That's something someday. for Louisiana to say that. <laughs> yeah. But, if you're um, in Texas and listening, we love you. They should have got someone Just from like... Facetious. The panhandle of Florida or something to do it. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> he just didn't. Yeah. Somebody from Florida, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> huh. Well, you know, some people can't, you know, some people can kill one role, but not another. So, yeah. Yeah. Bad. It's a no from, from Jesse Dog, which means it's a no for me. <laughs> but we did get an email, and this is just this morning, actually, three hours ago, as a matter of fact. Uh, and not an email I, I ever thought we'd get because we covered Troop Beverly Hills like a few months ago. But this is from Jennifer Broughton. I hope I pronounced your name right, Jen, uh, Jennifer. Uh, so she says, uh, slow day at work, LOL. And she says, never thought I'd be writing an email about this movie, especially like 30 years after it was made, <laughs> LOL. I've seen this movie more times than a normal human being should have, and you asked for help on this movie and dissecting the dynamics of it. <laughs> so here we go. And I'm going to say this is an expert opinion from Jennifer because she has seen it. More than I have. Yeah. And as I admitted on the podcast, I really, when I was watching it, I think I was reading way too much in it. And I think Jennifer helps navigate that very well and agrees that I did read way too much into Troop Beverly Hills. But anyway, Jennifer <laughs> goes on to say, uh, as a woman, my thoughts are completely different than yours. Understandable. Uh, I don't think Phyllis ever wanted the divorce. She was being left by Fred Neffler for all of the reasons you stated. He talks about how she used to have drive and ambition and the more wealthy they became, the more she lost herself. And as the movie progresses and parts of her old self return, and he's reminded of why he fell in love with her. I never felt during any time that he was gaslighting her. I feel in my own divorced opinion, it's natural up and down back and forth feelings people go through during a divorce process. Divorces happen because people change and her returning to herself and him seeing that and wanting her back makes sense. If only people really did change in real life. Uh huh. Gotcha there. <laughs> I don't think she, quote, gave up her independence at the end of the movie. I think the situation, divorce, pausing to see what's important, uh, not money anymore to her, uh, helping her find herself and, to, and him to see her again. There was also a part of the movie where he accidentally says to his new girlfriend, she'll always be my wife. He didn't want to leave her. He didn't want to leave her either. He just wanted the old Phyllis back. I don't see any gaslighting done by Fred. Having said that, I've also never heard from a man on their interpretation of this movie. <laughs> so hearing yours was very interesting. You did read a bit more into it. L-O, capital L, capital O, capital L. I'm very curious if you heard about other listeners and what they think. Thanks for reading. Just found about the podcast and skipping around so far. Love it. JB. Thank you, Jennifer. Awesome. Keep skipping around. Uh, check out the movies you like. Uh, and if you go back into the old, old episodes from 10 years ago, I apologize for the audio quality. We've come a long <laughs> way. And by we, I mean Jesse. Yeah. So, but uh, yeah, True Beverly Hills, you're the first one to respond about it. Aside from Ben, of course, he responded that he had never seen it, if I remember correctly. You know, so, hey, that's a, that's a really great thing uh, with your experience bringing that into what you were seeing is a completely different and honestly more uh, on the, I say on the nose in a good way, but like because like you can relate to that character way, obviously way more than I can. 
you know, with what you mentioned in, in your email. So that's an awesome perspective. I defer to you, uh, A, because of your experience and you've seen it more than I have. So I tip my hat to you, no. good madam, uh, for your email and feel free to send us another one anytime you want. Leave a review if you'd like, uh, of course, whether it be one star or five. I really don't care as long as you say why. And one sentence saying you don't like Spielberg is not a not correct and b not sufficient enough to explain the rating. Yeah. So regardless, everybody, if you want to send an email, have it read on the air, just like Jen here or Jennifer. Excuse me, I don't know. I don't know if I can call her Jen just yet. Eighties uh, <laughs> Revisited at gmail.com on Facebook. Eighties Revisited podcast on Instagram. Eight zero s underscore Revisited. And as always, shout outs, Occasion Toy Review on YouTube, our good friend John and Lafayette. And as always, Ben, the Tasmanian Devil, a.k.a. Doomslayer, who, round of applause for Doomslayer, got a win at the uh, TCW pay-per-view recently. So congratulations from all of us here, Ben. Uh, I mean, excuse me, Doomslayer. You know, we've had our differences in the past, Doomslayer, but you did it, man. You've reached the top. Well, part of the top, you know, the second base camp. You got to keep going to get to the summit, but you'll get there, man. We're behind you. We support you. Uh, so check out TCW online, uh, uh, Doomslayer on YouTube. Give uh, local wrestling some support. And I think that's about it. Did I forget anything this week, Jesse, before I close it out for good? I think we're good. <laughs> All right. I trust you. Uh, next week, we are going over the top with Sylvester Stallone and the seedy underground realm of professional arm wrestling and how it reinstates the bond of a father and a son. And just remember when that hat goes backwards, better watch <laughs> out. But until then, everybody, I will remain. I will remain Trey Harris, man. Jesse Sedgley, man. Cowabunga, man. Yeah. That was a, that, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I, no, no, no. Apollo apologies to Cheech and Chong. Let's do this right. Okay. That was that was bad. That was terrible. Until next time, I remain Trey Harris. Yes, he said to me. Cowabunga! Over the top, Dan, over the top! <laughs> <laughs>